Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. Early one Sunday morning in 2009, a seven-year-old boy led police on a low-speed chase through Plain City, Utah. Did you hear about this? The police tried to get his attention by turning on their flashers, but the boy refused to pull over. Instead, he continued to drive very slowly through town. The reason why he never sped up was because he was too short. He was too short to reach the pedals and look over the dashboard at the same time. So he would alternate between pushing the pedals and then jumping up to see where he was going. Well, this very dramatic chase finally came to a conclusion when the little boy pulled into his own driveway, hopped out of his car, and ran into the garage. When police finally asked him why he had taken his parents' car on this joyride, he responded, that he didn't want his parents to drag him to church because, get this, it was just too hot to go to church. I think some of us can identify with this little boy's sentiment, right? It's summer here in Loma Linda. It's when temperatures hit north of 110 degrees, it can feel too hot to go anywhere. And yet throughout this summer series, Project 242, we have been asking you to do exactly that to get out and to live out these discipleship practices. Practices like studying scripture in community, gathering around the table, praying for each other, serving our neighbors. And I'd like to pause here for a moment and just say how much, how much I've appreciated the messages that my colleagues have, have shared over the past four weeks. Have you been blessed? Amen. They've really given us a primer on how to engage in these, these foundational discipleship practices. So if you've missed any of the messages, I encourage you to go back and listen to them. They're all available online. You can go to our website, to our podcast, to our YouTube channel, and listen to them. Because the next three messages actually builds on the foundation laid by the first four. Now, having said that, these practices are nothing new. Christians have been participating in them for centuries. So for those of us who may have heard about them before, they can start to feel a little bit mundane, a little bit ordinary. And when they become inconvenient to participate in, we may start to wonder why we have to practice them in the first place. Like when we are tired, when we're busy, when it's too hot outside and we'd rather do something else we may wonder, what difference do these discipleship practices make? Well, that's the question that we're going to answer over the next three weeks. 
Luke in Acts chapter 2, verses 43 to 47, actually outlines three, three responses, three effects that participating in these discipleship practices made in the life of the early church. And they have the same effect today. And the first one is found in verse 43. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to get them out, open them up, launch the app, and turn over to Acts chapter 2. We're going to actually start in verse 42 for context and then move into verse 43. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Luke writes, And they, that is the early Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. So they devoted themselves to these foundational discipleship practices. And then, as a result of participating in those practices, awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Luke writes that awe came upon every soul. So awe is the first response to a life of discipleship. So let me ask you, have you ever been in awe? Have you ever had an experience that just shocked you out of your daily, daily routine and left you in wonder? Maybe it was the first time that you stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon and looked down and realized how incredibly deep it was. Or maybe it was the first time you held your baby in your arms and you realized how incredibly small she was. Or maybe it was a time when, when God moved so powerfully in your life and you realized how incredibly big he was. See, those moments, they wake us up and they grab our attention. Have you ever been in awe? Those moments of awe are powerful because they give us, they give us a perspective that is often lacking in our self-centered existences. And Jacob Needleman, Jacob Needleman is a writer that was present at the launch of Apollo 17. And he writes about the profound effect of awe that awe had on everybody who was there to witness it. He writes, I was an observer at the launch of Apollo 17 in 1972. Now, for those of us who are too young to remember the launch of Apollo 17, it was the last time that humans actually set foot on the moon. He said it was a night launch, and there were hundreds of cynical reporters all over the lawn, drinking beer, wisecracking, and waiting for this 35-story high rocket. The countdown came, and then the launch. The first thing you see is this extraordinary orange light, which is just at the limit of what you, are, you can bear to look at. Everything is illuminated with this light. Then comes this thing slowly rising in total silence because it takes a few seconds for the sound to come across. You hear a whoosh and a hmm, and it enters right into you. You can practically hear jaws dropping. The sense of wonder fills everyone in the whole place as this thing goes up and up. The first stage ignites this beautiful blue flame. It becomes like a star, but you realize there's humans on it. And then... There's total silence. People just get up quietly, helping each other up. They're kind. They open doors. They look at one another, speaking quietly and interestedly. 
These were suddenly moral people because the sense of wonder, the experience of wonder, had made them moral. See, that is the effect of awe. Wonder makes us better. Awe puts our lives in proper perspective. And according to Jennifer Steller, an assistant professor of psychology at the University of Toronto, we all need a little bit more awe and wonder in our lives, especially in this pandemic-scarred world. She writes, we share a universal problem right now. We're all busy and stressed and maybe even more self-involved because of the pandemic. Social isolation may be contributing to a tendency to ruminate more or even be narcissistic, which is related to ego. But experiencing awe can quiet the ego. Awe quiets the ego. Awe puts our lives in proper perspective. It helps us to realize that we are not the center of the universe, that the world does not revolve around us. And that's why we need awe. In fact, we crave awe. We crave those moments when we feel, we feel appropriately small, but a part of something incredibly big. We crave those moments when it is clear how great God is. We crave those moments when the problems that we are normally obsessed about start to feel a little more insignificant. We need awe. And yet too often, those moments of awe are few and far between. And that's what's so incredible about what happened to these first Christians. Because they experienced awe continually. Luke writes that awe kept on coming upon them. See, the verb that he uses is in the imperfect middle tense, which if you didn't bring your Greek grammars to church this morning, it means that awe was a continual state. That awe kept on coming upon them. The same is true of the, uh, the signs and wonders. The apostles kept on performing their signs and wonders. This was not a one-and-done situation. This was a continual state. This thing that we crave, they had consistently. And that, that is the first response. That is the first result of participating in these discipleship practices. Repeated awe. See, participating in discipleship practices shifts our perspective. Can I say that again? Participating in discipleship practices shifts our perspective toward awe. Because through these practices, we encounter God. And God, when we see him, when we really see God, we can't help but be in awe and wonder. Just think about creation. Think about how awe-inspiring creation is. Think about the world, how magnificent the world is. Astronauts talk about this all the time. How looking at the world from space is a profound, unforgettable moment. There's never been an astronaut that, who takes a rocket to space and looks down on the Earth for the very first time from orbit and says, eh, Nothing special. No, every single one of them is overwhelmed by awe. And God created 
all of that. How could we not be in awe of our Creator? And that's why Luke, in the book of Acts, he always connects the word signs to the word wonders. Because he wants, he wants his readers to understand that these wonders that they experience, the wonders they see in nature, the, the wondrous miracles that the apostles perform, they are all just signs pointing to the greatness of God. They're like, they're like samples of God's power. Anybody else here miss Costco samples? Yeah. Yeah. I used to love walking around Costco and trying all the little samples. You could almost make a whole meal out of it, right? You get full. But that's not actually what the samples are for. The samples were just to be a taste of what is to come. And that's what these wonders are. These miracles that the apostle performed were just a taste of what is to come. These, these miraculous, uh, these breathtaking sights in nature, they are just a taste of what is to come. They are samples of the power and majesty of God. That's why in Psalm chapter 19, verse 1, King David wrote, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Because creation testifies of the creator. It's kind of like a painting. You know, nobody looks at a painting and marvels at the materials used to create it, right? Nobody looks at the Mona Lisa and goes, man, that is some amazing paint. Got to get myself some. Nobody looks at, at the Mona Lisa and asks the question, I wonder where Leonardo da Vinci got, got that canvas, because that canvas, mm, magnificent. No, we don't marvel at the materials. We are in awe of the artist. And just as art shows the skill of the artist, creation testifies of the talent of our creator. So we don't have to manufacture these moments of awe and wonder. We just have to get out of our heads long enough to be able to see God in his works. That's why Elizabeth Barrett Browning writes that earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit rounded and pluck blackberries. I love that. God is all around us. We just need to stop plucking the blackberries long enough to see him. And that's what these practices do. That's what studying scripture in community, that's what building community, that's what uh, serving our neighbors, that's what praying for each other do. They allow us to encounter God. And when we encounter God, we experience awe. That's why these seemingly ordinary, ordinary practices open up extraordinary possibilities because through them, we encounter an awesome God. And some of you have already begun experiencing this. Some of you have already begun engaging in these discipleship practices and, and, and have experienced the shift that comes, the shift in perspective that comes from encountering God. I want to share one such experience with you this morning. It comes from one of our Meals on Wheels volunteers. She writes, 
I've been helping at Meals on Wheels for about two years now. I thought it would be an easy way to help someone in need, no strings attached. What I found was a rewarding way to give back to people. I have some friends on my route now who look forward to seeing me every Wednesday. I'm always greeted with a hug and a smile and I'm invited into their home and share my life with them. I listen to stories about their past. I even helped one lady search for her glasses for an hour. What I've realized is I may be the only person that they see all day. God has put me in their lives not only to be of service, not only to be of service, but because it makes me realize each and every one of us is special. See, what began as an easy way to do an act of service turned into an encounter with God that shifted her perspective. We have no idea what wonders, what awe-inspiring moments God has in store for us if we would just take the time to engage with him through these discipleship practices. So if we want a life full of awe and wonder, not just momentarily, but consistently, if we want those moments where we feel appropriately small but a part of something incredibly big, if we want those moments where it is absolutely clear how great God is, if we want those moments where we are sure that God is working in our lives, then we must engage in these discipleship practices. Because when we do, we, we encounter God. And when we encounter God, we experience awe. When you came in today, you should have received a card like this. It says Project 242 on it. If you have it, I'd encourage you to pull it out. We like to call this our live out challenge because it outlines practical ways to live out the principles that we've been learning about throughout this series. And my live out challenge for you this morning is really simple. It's to participate in one of the previous four live out challenges, to participate in one of those practices that lead to awe. So here are your options. This week, we invite you to participate in one of the previous four live out challenges. Be intentional, that's option number one. Be intentional about having a conversation with someone you haven't talked to in a while. Number two, invite someone to your table for a meal. Number three, volunteer in an outreach ministry in your local area or ask God to inspire you to create a new ministry. Or option four, pray intentionally for someone who God is calling you to intercede for. And then share how this experience changes your perception of this world. Now, these challenges, they may not seem like much, but it is incredible how God can take ordinary practices and open up extraordinary possibilities. One of my favorite stories that reminds me of what God can do if we just give him a chance comes from an email that I received a long time ago. It was one of those chain emails. Do you remember those chain emails that used to circulate? So this story came from that long ago time, but it is so poignant that I still remember it to today. It's about a little girl named Livy. 
And Livy, while she was shopping with her mother, saw these pearls in a display case. And as soon as she saw those pearls, she knew she had to have them. It didn't matter that they were fake. They were still the most beautiful things she had ever seen in her entire life. So Livy turned to her mother and begged her, Mommy, please, 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 can I have those pearls? And her mother said, yes, but only if you pay for them. The price tag read $19.99. So as soon as she got home, Livy opened up her piggy bank and started counting out her money. She had exactly $5.23. Not enough to buy those pearls. But she didn't let that stop her. She started earning money. And several weeks later, she had earned enough money to purchase those prized pearls. And from that moment on, she never stopped wearing them. She wore them at home. She wore them at school. She wore them at church. She even wore them to bed. The only time she ever took them off was when she was showering because her mom told her that they might turn her skin green if she wore them and got wet. Livy also had a father who every night would come and read her a story before he tucked her in. And on this one particular night, after he had finished the story, he asked her a question. He said, Livy, do you love me? She said, oh, Daddy, of course I love you. Then can I have those pearls? A little bit shocked. She said, no, I, I love these pearls, but, but you can have my horsey. It's a really special horsey. It's, its legs move and everything. Her daddy smiled and said, no, Livy, that's okay. Daddy loves you. Kissed her and left. The next night, he came in and told her a story, and then he asked her again, Livy, do you love me? She said, Daddy, of course I love you. Then can I have those pearls? No, Daddy, not the pearls, but, but you can have my doll. It's my favorite. She's my favorite doll. I've had her since I was three years old. You can have her. Her daddy smiled and said, no, Livy, that's okay. Kissed her on the cheek tucked her in, and laughed. The third night, the scene repeated again. Walked into the room, read her story, and then asked, Livy, do you love me? Daddy, you know that I love you. You know how much I love you. Of course I love you. Then can I have those pearls? Not the pearls, but you can have my dollhouse. You can have my doll, and you can have the horse for her to ride on. You can have all of them. That's how much I love you. Her daddy smiled and said, no, Livy, that's okay. Daddy loves you. Kissed her and tucked her in and left. On the fourth night, things were a little bit different. Livy was waiting on her bed as usual, but the pearls were no longer around her neck. They were in her lap. And as soon as her daddy stepped into the room, she offered them up to him and said, Daddy, I love you. And with tears in his eyes, he reached out with one hand to grasp those fake pearls. And then with his other hand, he pulled out genuine pearls to place upon her neck. See, he had them the whole time. He was just waiting for her to give him a chance.
so it is with our God. We have no idea the wonders, the awe-inspiring moments that God has in store for us if we'll only give him a chance. So I encourage you to live out these discipleship practices because if you do, you may discover how awesome and awe-inspiring, how powerful and untamable, how indescribable and uncontainable a God he truly is. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at lluc.org.